0: This week, it's all about the
1: Lure. <laughs> Roger, zero, day, day, day.
0: Howdy, and welcome to another game of Loop Radio episode. Today, we are going to change it up a bit as our in-house lore master, Verita, will walk us through her extensive research the last two weeks. I don't know how long it took, but... So extensive. End <laughs> to the story like of Destiny.
2: <laughs> it's super prepared. <laughs> uh, so, thank you, Jimmy. Um, what makes the game special to us? What keeps us going through activities over and over again? Is it the gameplay? Is it the loot? More than likely, yes. It's definitely those two things. However, for a lot of people, an underlying driver in playing many of our favorite games is the story, and how that story is supported as we play. Many games have collectibles available for you to scavenge as you tear it up throughout the various worlds you exist in, holding tiny bits of story that might give you a wow, I never knew that moment. In in this podcast, though, we're talking about Destiny. Of course we are. And the lore infrastructure that Bungie has taken the time to build over many years. During this season, which is Season of the Chosen, many Destiny diehards and content creators, Jimmy and myself included, have said many times that this has been one of the best seasons of Destiny's story in a very long time, the groundwork laid out by all of the story beforehand. While I would definitely include last season with Europa and the Deepstone Crypt, and of course we'll get to that in a little while. I would absolutely have to agree. Uh, the story development of some of our favorite characters, along with some new faces, some old faces, some, some faces you might have seen or, or read of in prior lore entries, has definitely drawn a lot of folks in and continued to add extra incentive to that ever-present grind that is Destiny 2. So we're going to talk a little bit about the story so far, Season of Arrivals, Beyond Light, and Season of the Hunt. So to get us started, a little bit of prologue. Prior to Beyond Light, during Season of Arrivals, the Darkness overtook several of the planets in our solar system, mainly Io, Titan, Mars, and Mercury. The Traveler awoke, healing its wounds from the Red War to protect Earth from that encroaching darkness. During Beyond Light, our Guardian traveled to Europa, where we learned to harness Stasis to defeat the corrupted Eliksni leader, Aramis, the Kell of Darkness and her various followers. While we harness these powers through the help of someone we thought was long lost, the Exo Stranger, or as we come to learn, Elizabeth or Elsie Bray, throughout Beyond Light, our Guardian unlocks Stasis' powers, and many of the figures we have come to know take a stand on our usage of the Darkness. Zavala cautions us against wielding it, working to ensure it does not spread any further. So to talk a little bit about this... Season of arrivals was when stuff started to really hit the proverbial fan for a lot <laughs> of the planets across the system. Um, you know, we took out the giant cabal ship that was heading directly towards the tower. We saw our warm Mind Rasputin handle that very well in a season that we won't talk about because it was a little bit painful. But... Season of Arrivals was really the, the final catalyst for what we experienced in Beyond Light. And watching all of those things take place, reading through all of the story bits that came as a result of that, and then being there for the end of, end of season, end of DLC kind of event, uh, was really special. And I thought, I thought that, was, that was great. I really was not sure for a lot of things where that was going to go but I really enjoyed it.
0: As far as for me, I, I also really enjoyed those, those end season moments. Uh, this is probably something new to the Destiny universe. Um, we never had something that tied from one season to the next. So seeing just guardians in the tower waiting for the almighty to, you know, collapse and hit us. And then you start seeing a bunch of red lasers aiming at it. You know that's uh, Rasputin doing his thing. Uh, having more of those moments uh, makes it feel like you're part of the story, you know, as 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 players, and and makes that that you know a special moment. Probably some other games that have probably done something similar. Um, so that that has been very exciting to experience um, season by season, and and looks like they're learning each time they go. Um I. I as, as cool as seeing that Almighty blow up, uh, it did take a few hours.
2: <laughs> it, oh my God, it so did. And it was a little painful. I remember there were there were five of us sitting in a PlayStation party chat and it was just myself and one other person. And we were deemed the ambassadors for sitting in the tower and watching this take place. I was a little disappointed that nothing else happened as a result of that. I I expected the pieces of the Almighty as it broke up and hit Earth to be something we could go and explore and it never was and that was a little bit of a bummer but the representation of that event was really neat i thought that was awesome so starting with that and then leading into the event at the end of that season where the traveler heals itself there's a little mission that went along with that that you got to do you got an emblem uh from completing that mission And then watching the traveler heal itself. And that leads us into Beyond Light. I thought that was a really fitting way to transition into what we saw. And the cinematic at the end of that, with the traveler reaching out to protect Earth and the darkness enveloping everything else around it, was such a, for me, a really powerful image to see for someone who's played Destiny for so long to see the transition and see the darkness really envelop uh, places that we've come to just know like the back of our hands is, it was quite quite the thing to watch happen.
0: It was a nice little throwback to the opening cinematic mm-hmm. of Destiny 1 where you start seeing darkness envelop soul. Yes. Right? So it was a really nice throwback and now we actually got to see the darkness eat up half of our, you know, planets. Were there... And something that was... Mm-hmm. And something else that was pretty cool is one of the, the challenges. Oh, my gosh. I forget the name now. Um, one of the dungeons, the, the newer dungeon.
2: Oh, the Prophecy see, Dungeon?
0: Yes, the Prophecy Dungeon. You get to see bits and pieces of the planets that are being vaulted. Yes. That are being developed. So that was a pretty pretty neat uh, Easter egg in, in the dungeon itself. To see how they're tying it with the story and with the the different missions that you're going through that season.
2: Be honest, gut reaction. Was there any of the were, were there any of the planets that you were not super sad about being taken by the darkness in this particular instance? They can take Mercury. Yep. you can't do nothing there. <laughs> take Mercury. I don't want it back. I don't need it back. Thank you. You can keep that. Uh well, as part of beyond light so this transition from the darkness enveloping these other planets that were taken the traveler awakening healing saving earth we then head on back to that wonderfully icy place europa and that is where the majority uh, of beyond light starts and takes place you are hopping around to the other planets that are remaining um to just check in on everybody who's left basically and make sure they're all okay but the majority of it does take place on europa as does, in my opinion, the coolest bit of lore and story that was part of Beyond Light, which is the Deepstone Crypt. So, the Exo Stranger leads us to another huge piece of the story that hasn't been discovered heavily, uh, or discussed heavily in prior seasons, and that that is the Deepstone Crypt, the birthplace of the Exos, built by Clovis Bray, run by Clarity Control. A darkness statue similar to those we've found in prior locations uh most recently i've seen it in the pyramid used by the guardians to unlock stasis as well as the garden of salvation raid clovis bray would commune with the darkness and when combined with vex technology use these two factors to help create the exos uh, specifically vex radiolarian fluid and concentrated darkness our guardians find and enter the Deepstone crypt to stop the fallen from using exo technology, and this is the entire basis of the Deepstone Crypt raid. We fight Atrax, one of Aramis's lieutenants, who has turned herself into an exo. Atrax one, arguably the worst encounter of the raid, who has also used exo technology in the Deepstone Crypt to resurrect Tanix, the scarred again, because we haven't killed Tanix enough. What's one more time? We then fight our way through the Morning Star, a space station orbiting Europa. Where the nuclear descent protocol has been activated, status: calamitous. Our guardians manage to deactivate the protocol, sending the space station to the surface of Europa, where we defeat Tanix again. Easily? In my opinion, and this, it's difficult to top my favorite piece of lore, but this is easily the second favorite bit of story, collectively in destiny for me. And
0: I, I I agree with that. Uh, I remember uh, listening to My Name is Bice videos about the some of the lore hidden in the grimoires regarding the dreams uh, that Cade had mm-hmm. regarding uh, the Deep Scorn Crypt. So, you know, five, six years later, we actually get to see uh, where all of these exos are built and get to understand a little bit more of how crazy Clovis Bray was, because honestly, he was a terrible person. He's a horrible he person, did,
2: horrible person.
0: He did bring all this technology, and I don't think we could have, you know, the you, the Destiny universe would, would not have been the same with all the good and bad that he did.
2: Agreed. And he's he's an absolute monster. Uh, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit later, uh, around the specifics of of examples of his his monstrosity behavior, but. To me, the Exos are, again, in my opinion, some of the coolest lore. I am an Exo across my Hunter, Titan, and Warlock in the game. Um, so to me, it was just really neat to also watch the game interact with you if you were that chosen um, species. So when you're in, fun fact, for anybody who has done the Deepstone Stone Crypt Raider, if you haven't, listen out for this. If you are an Exo in the game, it will indicate that and welcome you. As you enter the Deepstone Crypt, the Clovis AI will say something to you specifically, which is kind of neat. So wrapping up Beyond Light, uh, leading into the first season that we got with the Beyond Light expansion, we got the season of the hunt. So in the season of the hunt, we are reunited with Osiris as he is investigating the darkness on the remaining planets and moons in our solar system. All that is left at this point is Europa, Nessus, Earth, specifically EDZ and the Cosmodrome, Tangled Shore, Dreaming City, and the Moon. In Osiris's investigation of the Moon, believing Zivu Arath, Hive God, and sister to Oryx, the Taken King, and sister to Savathun, the Witch Queen, uh, we believe that Zivu Arath is looking to take advantage of the chaos left in the wake of the events on Europa and planets before. His ghost, Sigira is sadly slain by the High Celebrant of Sivu Arath, leaving him lightless. For those of you who are not familiar with Destiny, this is a very big deal. Light is what resurrects us every time we die. So if your ghost is taken or slain, you are left lightless, which means you are left vulnerable and are no longer effectively immortal. As our Guardian reaches the moon to... Assist Osiris, we meet another familiar and yet unfamiliar face in Aldrin Sov, now known as Crow. Aldrin was resurrected by the traveler and made into a guardian, and we now know him no longer as Aldrin Sov, but, but specifically as Crow. When we're made into guardians, we have no memory of our past lives and events, so this is a huge surprise to us, but obviously Crow doesn't understand or know why. He's been picked up and employed by the spider in the Tangled Shore to help track down the High Celebrant with Osiris, who is using artifacts of the darkness called cryptoliths to corrupt the minds of Cabal, Fallen, and Other Hive into an army called the Wrathborn. As the story of the season plays through, we are advised not to tell Crow of his past as Uldren Sov. As a reminder, spoiler alert, Uldren... Uh, killed Cade Six, the Hunter Vanguard. So again, this is this is a big deal that he's there. Uh, there was R. there was much screaming uh, during the trailer as this was revealed to us, and we are also advised the Awoken Queen Marasov, who is Aldrin's sister, uh, intends to return to reality out of the oh my god the Ascendant Plane. Mm-hmm. Excuse me to confront Savathun and end the curse on the Dreaming City. We find the High Celebrant defeating the Ascendant Hive Knight and freeing Crow from his quote-unquote servitude with the Spider. We also eventually realize that Crow has been chosen by the Traveler in a similar fashion to that of the Speaker, as we follow the trail of Crow's visions of a hawk through the EDZ, which leads us to reforge Hawkmoon, a weapon of light reborn to fight the Darkness. We learn to trust Crow, still not revealing his past to him, and eventually he joins us and Osiris in traveling back to the tower at the end of the season. There is a lot to unpack in a very small amount of story in the season of the hunt and I think my brain was already spinning at the end of it. And I don't think it's I don't think it stopped spinning since then truthfully, but that was a lot to happen in one single season.
0: The one interesting thing, you know, going into this season uh knowing that Ultron killed Cade and us wanting revenge. I was personally ready to uh, confront Pro and give it to him again. <laughs> but Bungie did a—they did a tremendous job of basically humanizing Pro, mm-hmm. so you you felt bad for him, even though you knew what his previous life, what he did, and who he was. Right. So that was probably one of the one of the probably fastest ways I got uh, to uh, empathize with a, with a character that I hated with a passion before.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, and as someone who is not a hunter main, you know, mine, my Vanguard's still okay. He's grumpy, but he's there. Um, I, I empathize heavily with people who Watched that whole event, you know, when Cade was killed. And I, I mean, I cried when that happened. Um, but if, I think people who play, you know, typically who play hunters feel that a little bit harder. And then there is, there is a lot of emotional conflict with seeing Aldrin there, but he's not Aldrin anymore. He's Crow. He doesn't know what he did. Everyone else knows what he did, which is super duper awkward for him and continues to be kind of awkward. Uh, as as we progress through the various seasons within the game. But to your point, Bungie did a really good job of humanizing him. Bungie was like, oh, hang on, did you want to hate him? No. No, you're you're gonna wanna <laughs> hug him and have a beer with him. So and they really they do. They did a they do a good job of that. And I think that the Hawk Moon quest in particular, I enjoyed reading through that lore and, and going on that quest because you get a little bit of insight into what Crow has been through because he doesn't, again, he doesn't fully understand the scope of his impact prior to being Crow on everybody. Um, there's one lore entry in particular that I can think of where a guardian sees his face and just absolutely tries to delete him from existence. And of course, his, you know Crow's ghost brings him back and they just sort of keep on keeping on. But it's, it's, a, it's a reminder that visually he has left a mark on a lot of people. And there's a lot of memories there that he's going to have to learn how to navigate and deal with. And as, as are the rest of us as, as we kind of get through the story. Although truthfully by the time we're at the end of this season, I'm okay with him. I'm, I'm fine with him. I'm not a, it's okay for me. But I understand how that's still a sore spot
0: for other people. The other interesting thing that I noticed is well when he wakes up he has no idea what's going on in the world mm-hmm. right um and he he he's working under spider so he's living a- among the eliksni right the fallen mm-hmm. in the uh and he becomes friends with them so he he is trying to understand why are we fighting with with these different species and why can't we find some sort of peace? Right. right. So that, I think that's interesting because you start seeing that more in the season of The Chosen as he, and we'll probably get more into that, but he, he starts questioning some of the actions from Saladin and some of the other uh, members of the Vanguard.
2: Yes, absolutely. And we will definitely, that is a good segue, we will jump right into that. So the newest season following that season of The Hunt uh, which almost felt a little bit like a new chapter of the story in general. If you think about Beyond Light like a like a book, you season of of the Hunt was kind of the first smaller chapter after that initial release. and now we're on to Season of the Chosen, which feels like a very long chapter in this book, um, and for a couple different reasons. So, for a little bit of background, following the defeat of Dominus Gaul at the end of the Red War, Keitel daughter of emperor callus declares herself empress of the cabal for those of you who have not played through the entirety of the destiny 2 campaign dominus gall is who you fight as the final boss of the campaign of the the very first campaign of destiny 2 when it was released Um, she has been working to rebuild the fractured cabal army piece by piece and comes to earth seeing a possible truce with the vanguard she invites Zavala and Osiris to bow in her. I'm sorry to bow to her. In addition to this alliance, Zavala says no, which has led to so many memes. And I wish I had them, but I don't have them in front of me. Thus, declaring the guardians as enemies, and thus the battleground's activities begin. Zavala advises Keitel is building an army to fight against humanity and creates the helm and enlists many of our old friends in the tower: Amanda Holiday, Lord Saladin, Osiris and crow who is in the tower but hidden by a mask so we're now at the point going back a little bit we're at the point now where crow is there in the tower but he's got a mask on it's kind of like object permanence if you don't see my face you're not gonna know it's me even though the rest of me looks like it as we challenge uh keitel's champions in the right of proving on various battlegrounds spread throughout the system we start to learn more of the motives around keitel her followers battle strategies of the other factions as you mentioned uh among a lot of other information so crow discovers the cabal are using a vex prediction engine to study futures where zavala has been killed and suspects keitel is plotting to assassinate zavala using a light disruptor created from stolen city tech his ghost would be disabled and he would then be vulnerable so in a similar fashion to Osiris and um, the fate of Segura, his ghost, if his, if Zavala's ghost is disabled, he is then vulnerable to be killed at that point. Uh, during a failed attempt by a cabal scion in the tower, Zavala almost sees Crow, but dismisses this as a dream. Which, by the way, on the sly, Ikora encouraged that. She knew Crow was there all the time. She knew who he was the entire time, but we'll get to that which I just had to laugh a little bit at that. This leads Zavala to challenge Keitel to the Ceremonial Rite of Proving, which is the new Proving Ground Strike that was released last week. No, I'm sorry, two weeks ago. Our Our Guardians fight through the Halfus Electus, which is a giant Cabal tank, and face Keitel's champion. Our Guardians win, of course. And we see Keitel meeting Zavala for a truce and agree to terms on a blood oath. During this meeting, a rogue scion attempts to assassinate Zavala. In the scuffle, Crow tries to stop the rogue scion, but is knocked down, his mask knocked off next to him. Keitel stops a second scion attempting to stab Zavala, assuring both Zavala and Crow that this was not her doing, and orders her soldiers to track down the rogue scion who shot at Zavala's ghost uh, during the altercation. Zavala then turns to Crow and finally sees his face offering him a hand of gratitude, picking him up off the ground. Ultimately, Zavala is not happy that we hid Crow from him, we among many other people, and now wonders what other secrets are being kept. This was easily one of the the coolest ways, I think, that Bungie could have done this. Keeping this a secret from from Zavala obviously was done for a reason. As I mentioned, I think just about everybody, who was vanguard level important. So Osiris Ikora knew about Crow and knew who Crow truly had been, but nobody else knows. Um, there's a line of dialogue at one point during the Proving Grounds activity where Amanda Holiday wants to go have a beer with Crow. And in upon listening to that, I went, Oh, honey, you're in for a surprise. <laughs> Bless your heart. So it's just it's a really great story. It's it's leading to a lot of really cool things and and the cabal not wanting to constantly murder us is a nice change of pace. And
0: I I I like the way that they did that um at, right after that uh scene that was available, that mission was available. Mm-hmm. I started seeing on Twitter folks doing a side-by-side comparison of when uh Aldrin kills Cade uh clearly now is the opposite of Of Zavala, uh, going down and picking Crow up. Yep. Right. So I think that that is, it's almost like a circle of life,
2: (laughs) something like that. Yeah. Agreed. it It is very it is very interesting, and you're starting to see some people, and the facade of those people kind of crack a little bit, right? So you have Zavala, and Zavala is just trying to keep it together. He's just he's not happy at us. Using the darkness, but he gets it, but he's not happy. And then you have the cabal who are like Neil, and he says, Abso freaking Lully not. And then we go through this entire thing. And then you have Saladin, who is just so grumpy. <laughs> and I can't say so, so grumpy. And it, it old man. He's so so old man grumpy. And I get it. I get it. You know, he sat on his butt throughout the entirety of the Red War. He didn't do anything. And now all this other stuff is happening, and he feels like he needs to be involved. And I understand, you know, he lost everyone he cared about to Siva quite some time ago, so he's got he's got a pretty big chip on his shoulder. He's been running Iron Banner. That's pretty awful at this point. So it's it's <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot for him to unpack. But I do think that he feels there's you get a really big sense of bloodlust from Saladin about all of this. He is giving no quarter. He is not holding back. He just wants information and he just wants to destroy them. He thinks everybody has ulterior motives. And I feel for him a little bit because I just don't think he wants to see another massacre like what's happened to him before. It doesn't excuse his behavior. Um, and he's certainly extra grumpy at us about using the darkness. But overall, it, it was just interesting to see it's a very, very stark contrast to What we see of him prior to now.
0: By the way, one of the missions, um, one of the battlegrounds, I think there was a line where there, towards the end, where a crow basically calls out Saladin for not. We're like calling him out for not being mm-hmm. there for the red war. Yeah, <laughs> I, I honestly lost it. It was like, oh man! I
2: oh I heard That's it. Rough. I heard it to it. Oh, dig the knife in deeper! Dang! All right, all right, okay. Jeez, bro, gosh, <laughs> make it worse. He's already so mad. But um, yeah, I think I think the story it starts the redemption of Crow, right? As, as formerly Eldrin, now Crow, you're starting to get more and more people who know who he was and who he is now and are starting to let it go. I do think that there's going to be... There's going to be a breaking point for somebody at some point where this is not going to go over well and something's going to happen. I don't know who... At what point, but I, I just, it's gone somewhat smooth so far. So we'll have to see what happens. I still stand by my prediction uh, that I think Ikora is going to lose it somehow and we're going to lose her to the darkness, but but we'll see.
0: I have a feeling, and I think some folks mentioned before, if you remember the cutscene back in the Dreaming City when um, Glint, that's that's mm-hmm. uh, Crow's ghost is looking for him and finds him and revives him, basically. Yep. Since then, folks have been thinking that uh, he might be the next Hunter Vanguard, and that's still a possibility.
2: That is still a possibility, and we really haven't heard too much from Anna other than the story bits that we get of her and Elsie reconciling during the Beyond Light campaign. Then she just sort of disappears, yep. and I know she's... She's trying to figure out how to rebuild Rasputin, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I, I've I've read and seen stuff about that as well. We'll have to see how that goes. But along with the story that we've 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 been getting throughout the season, which has been fantastic, we get another wonderful bit of story in this new mission for the new exotic rifle, the Dead Man's Tale. So. Osiris receives a distress signal from an abandoned Cabal ship, the Glycon, which our guardian goes to investigate. The ship is lingering out in the reef, and the ship had left Earth along with Emperor Callus' fleet when the darkness arrived, but had since gone off course. The ship had been taken over by Scorn, who are corrupted Elixni, led by the Locus of Communion. All the Cabal crew that were on the ship are dead. After the battle, our guardian finds the remains of a hunter named Catabases, revealed to be one of Callus's shadows, and we recover the dead man's tail, the exotic rifle. We later learn that Callus had visited the ship while his loyalists had captured Scorn from the tangled shore and experimented on them using the crown of sorrow to allow Callus to attempt to commune with the darkness. This was a big one for me. Um, it had immediately a feeling like the whisper of the worm sniper rifle mission that we had uh back on IO and it's just so creepy i remember when i ran it the first time it had that feeling like the game dead space that yes. that was how the how the whole thing felt i think at one point i jumped because the they did a really good job. Whoever did the audio for it did a fantastic job. You know, everything is moving around you. So if something's crawling in the ductwork, you hear it going past your ear as if it's next to you, which I thought was really awesome. Uh, It's certainly a challenging mission to get through. It's a lot of fun. But the lore around it, again, you know, now we're back. And we we had kind of talked about it before, how we didn't really think Callus was gone forever. You know, he left with the Leviathan and everything, uh, when the darkness came to encroach upon the universe, but we never really thought he was gone for good. And now that's been confirmed a little bit because he's trying to commune with the darkness, which is super bad, <laughs> but, um, it was just, it was a, another, another great story. I feel like Bungie is tying up some threads, very nice and neat. And then pulling on new ones to create new story, and this is a really cool thread that they pulled. I'm I'm loving it absolutely.
0: I had no idea that the Crown of Sorrow was involved with the
2: icon. <gasps> Didn't.
0: So this is news to me. Oh my! Oh my god! Oh
2: my god! Secrets we're sharing. Secrets is awesome. Secrets, secrets, secrets.
0: For those that haven't played, I think was it last? It was last year's main campaign, right? Or the raid from. Where we go, and um, one of the cabal—I forget his name—is wearing the crown of sorrows.
2: Are you talking about the crown of sorrow raid? Yes. Yes. Oh, I don't remember Galran, right? Yes, mm-hmm. Galran. Yep. He puts his hands up. And you guys shoot his hands, and then you shoot him in the face, and then the crown falls, and you kill him. That—that that was a good.
0: So all this stuff that happened, Glycon was in preparation for Galran. I don't. If he was using, I feel like if he was using the Crown of Sorrows to experiment on on them, eventually Galran had the Crown of Sorrows at the end, unless someone went and picked it up after we slayed him.
2: I'm wondering if somebody picked it up after we slayed him, and I didn't get a chance to look at this mostly because I didn't want to reveal lore to myself that I hadn't uncovered yet. (laughs) But I do, I do think this happens to be. I think this is something that happens after the fact. It's difficult to tell from what I've uncovered so far but you can actually see the crown of sorrow. It's in an area that we can't get to yet on the ship. But there, there is a an image of it that you can see in the, in the Glycon mission. But the fact that Callus is trying to use it to commune with the darkness, that's that's no bueno. I, I think that we are going to end up getting another raid maybe having to do with that or maybe another mission or, or something. I just I want to know more of that story um, but it's just yeah to, it's kind of a throwback. It's one of those things where you didn't think they were going to pull that back in and then they do and you're like oh my god it's there <laughs> but the whole the whole mission finding catabases at the end and taking the rifle and you feel bad about it you feel bad about taking it it's like you're up there and you're dead i'm gonna take your gun bye i it's bad but it it's just such a it's a very well done very well done mission i thought it was and it's a challenge it's a great challenge it's especially a challenge when it's timed um but it's it's a it's a lot of fun
0: Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. I think the first time you mentioned, I I played it at midnight. That was a mistake.
1: (laughs)
2: Oh, Oh, no.
0: I haven't, I haven't, I don't recall ever jumping in a Destiny mission ever. (laughs) It was, it was a little rough. (laughs) I think, no, you know what? You know what's even worse? Sometimes my girlfriend will come and sneak up on me. And I think I was playing the mission and she did that and it made it ten times worse. Oh, no.
2: Oh, no, that's bad. I can only sure. imagine for what i for what happens to me when i get scared playing phasmophobia i can only imagine that was probably 10 times worse wait thanks
0: but i like the way that they release the the uh, story mm-hmm. content it's it's weekly right so you have to go back in you uh you grab one of the new artifacts right to read it complete the mission at the end of the mission you get the story bit um i i like doing that cuz it it one it kind of uh, makes you go back into an activity. Uh, it's a little bit different. Um, I know some folks prefer to have it all in one go, and they don't want to keep you know doing that. But there's, there's obviously if if you're aiming for you know uh, pinnacle power level, you probably want to go back in there because you'll get an Ingram for it. But still, mm-hmm. um, I I like the way that they have released the story you know on a weekly basis instead of all in one go.
2: Agreed. Yeah, I think it's great. I. There are it depends on the story, but I also think I don't know. I guess I'm of the generation where I had to wait once a week for the new episode of my favorite show to come out. So for me to wait a week to read a lore entry for Destiny to me is it's on that same level. So I certainly don't mind uh waiting for it. It just makes me want to get it done. It just makes me want to do the activity, which if that's the main goal that Bungie has set out to achieve uh you can put a check mark next to my gamer tag Bungie. hope you're listening because you have definitely i am i am that market that <laughs> you have created that for um but yeah i i absolutely i love it and i think before we get into the specific um you know little lore bits that have come through this season and prior seasons one thing i didn't mention in the notes that i think is also really important to note is it is also the delivery of the lore That, to me, is very important in the way that Bungie does it. Because you have... Obviously, you have the stuff that you go and collect out in the world. You get lore bits from completing activities within the game. So, again, this is a perfectly good example. The lore that is attached to the Glycon mission, when you run it every week, you get just from completing it. You don't have to find something specific, necessarily. You just just complete the mission. But there is also a huge amount of externally published lore that exists, that's created by Bungie. So not only are we talking about people who have gone through the process of writing these stories and breaking them up and sticking them in throughout the game, there are three published volumes of lore called the Grimoire, all three of which are on my shelf yelling at me to read them again. You have little bits and pieces throughout different collector's editions that have also been published uh, most recently, the Beyond Light Collector's Edition had a journal from Cloves Bray, which is incredibly cool. And on top of that, there are lore entries on some of the ships. There are lore entries on some of the ghosts. There are lore entries on all of the armor and some of the weapons. And also, um, oh my gosh, the sparrows too. There's there's lore everywhere in the game. So it's not just it's not just the delivery internally, it's externally, and it's just interwoven throughout the entirety of the game and the culture around it, which is super cool to me.
0: Adding to that, there's also the, the lore entries that they publish on uh, Bungie's website, and it's sometimes leading into a season. Yes. Um, and that's where we started learning more about uh, Keitel, I think. That was the first mention of her mm-hmm. in, in one of those posts before we got to the season.
2: Yes, absolutely. And in the season with, and I'm not going to remember, I think it was season of the worthy with the sundial activity, there were different lore entries about the scion bosses that you fought in that activity every week. And those would come out every so often. So Bungie has a, a very high regard for story, which I appreciate and, and kind of hearkening back to what we talked about before. So it keeps me coming back. You know, are there days where I don't want to run strikes and gambit and crucible? Sure, but the lore keeps me coming back. So that's that's what I'm there for. So starting with the lore, the specific lore entries, there's there's a lot. There's a lot that we have to read. Um it's certainly something that when I'm trying to fall asleep at night, I have been known many a time to pop my phone open and read these lore entries. <laughs> so new with this season you have the empress lore book you have the lore book titled from the front and you have the captain's log now the captain's log is the lore that we were just talking about that comes from the glycon missions so those are only available once per reset week uh, as you complete that mission the from the front lore book has to do with the table in the helm, as you completed the weekly missions surrounding the proving grounds, the various proving grounds across the the different planets, and then you had Empress, which, if I recall correctly, I think also unlocked from the same things. Um, and those are all about Keitel and her rise to rise to power within the within the Cabal Empire. I think of all of them, the captain's log entries are probably my favorite. I am admittedly behind on collecting them, which is something I never thought I would say regarding lore. Uh, but I, sadly, am I am I think a little bit behind on getting those. But so far, uh, they've been they've been very very enticing. Don't
0: worry, I'm also behind. <laughs> <laughs> I had to I had to cheat, folks, and I was looking up YouTube videos from. From some of the lore folks to catch me up <laughs> but but I do like if if you've uh i mean there's there's uh separate different ways to read up lore um in, you can do it in game and they've made it easier uh this season as you can read through the different lore even of even lore that you did not complete or collect from previous seasons or years mm-hmm. it's unlocked for you yes, it is, and i um,
2: I appreciate that a lot because there there are a few a few lore entries and lore books that I did not finish truth to power being one of them rip the ascendant challenges um, that I did. I didn't get to finish prior to prior to, uh, to the uh, beyond light starting. So yeah. And I, I agree. I think that UI change in the way that they've done that. They don't want to punish people for not completing it. They want you to read the lore. They want you to be invested in the story. So they're not going to sit there and say, Oh, well, you know, you didn't do this. So we're not going to let you read it. They want you to be able to read it. So I think with, with each expansion, they'll probably do that from everything prior. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a, a great call on their part.
0: And there's also a third-party site uh, called the Ishtar Collective. Yes. If you just want to get on your phone or on your computer, it has all of the different lore book entries and way more stuff. Like it has, you can go back and look at the grimoire from, uh, you know, Destiny 1 and all that that lore. And there's different ways to filter it. If you just want to know anything, anything lore-related about, you know, Crow or Ultron, you can, you can filter through that. So that's a pretty powerful website.
2: I will also 100% admit when I don't have any new lore entries to read from the game currently, I will be on Ishtar Collective reading them all the time. It's just nice. Nice pre-bedtime reading. Um, were there any lore entries from the three that have kind of come from this season that stood out to you?
0: I think I've, I'm in the same boat. Uh, my favorite one is the Captain's Log. Um, I think at the beginning, uh, before you start learning who Cadabas is, is, I think I got his name right or something. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I, I was guessing that um, it was um, potentially opening to different, time, or different universes or timelines. Like it was... Because in one of the timelines, we become a shadow, Mm -hmm. I believe. And so I thought for a second that some wormhole happened, and that was us from a different timeline. But clearly that that, that disproved pretty quickly. (laughs) But that was something that I was thinking at the very beginning of this Glycon mission.
2: I thought it was, yeah, agreed. It's very, very cool. I do think it's probably my favorite so far for the season. So from prior seasons, and I'm coming, I'm, I'm bringing it, I say all the way back, it's not really all the way back, it's just prior to, right before Beyond Light releasing. So with Season of Arrivals um, and kind of going forward, there's Duress and Egress, uh, which is a lore book following the final days of Asher Mir, Anna Bray, Brother Vance, and Sloane. So these were the primary folks the vendors on each of the planets that were that were taken and i i got to say just the the entries from Asher i think were probably the most heartbreaking of all of them for me and i'm going to read one very quickly here because it's just again the the probably the the saddest one that That I've, that I've read. So just bear with me here while I pull this up. Okay. As Asher Mir watched his assistant's ship tear into orbit for the last time, it occurred to him that he had not expressed how truly satisfactory he had found some of their work. He briefly entertained the thought of leaving a letter, but there were others more deserving of his thoughts. And if he worked in descending priority, he might never make it to his assistant, which would defeat the purpose of the exercise completely. Instead he went to the Pyramidian. The Vex are not born, yet not created. Desire to understand this conundrum brought Asher to Io. He reasoned that the Pyramid, with its alien resources and unknowable power, had likely come from the same purpose. The dark ship sought to take the secrets of the Vex for itself. But Asher Mir had already staked his claim, and he was prepared to defend it. He soon stood at the gate of the Pyramidian. The Vex security responded as he knew they would, and he was prepared. He piled their broken corpses on the plates and continued inside. He destroyed the first hundred vex, then a second. A minotaur roared into being before him, and he crushed its radiolarian core in his metal fist. He climbed forward over their clawing limbs. He slipped in the cooling rue of their dead fluid. Asher swallowed a mouthful of blood and kept moving. He paused by a whirling gate and watched the... Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry. It would be good if I breathed. He watched the aperiodic waves and then stepped through at the only possible moment. He walked steadily through laser grids that seemed to bend around him. He hung calmly in a gravitational torbillion as the ground beneath him flickered and shifted madly. The vex began to observe. The corridors of the Pyramidian were lined with glowing red eyes. The metal mannequins stood dumbly, twitching, shuddering as Asher passed. A familiar area unfolded before him, a cubist sinkhole reeking with the flat base stench of slate mud and bleach. He looked where the sky should be, and found another impossible shape, another fractal contradiction. Far above him, placid in its penrose vortex, the vast Radiolarian Lake lapped gently at the metallic shores. The man reached up to the lake with his metal arm. He then reached with his arm of flesh. He reached with both, and he brought the lake down. And that, that entry is Asher basically bringing the Radiolarian Lake down the Pyramidian and just taking everything out and in including himself. And, and reading, that, reading that broke my heart the first time I read it. That was, that was rough
0: finally get to see the lake or hear about the lake. Right.
2: <laughs> and for, for those who don't know, the assistant that, that Asher references is us. So as we play, he calls us his assistant. So that, that also, it gave me a chuckle at the beginning and then you start to realize what's happening and he just, he just goes and takes care of it. So that was, uh, that was, a, that was a rough set of, of lore entries because you just sort of see them all take a final stand and either leave or they go down with the ship kind of thing. Um, so that was a that was a really well-written series of entries. Prior, or I'm sorry, after that, we have a few other ones um, that I'll just read out briefly and then we'll talk a little bit about each one. So you have Regarding Stasis, which are letters from Eris Morn, uh, basically writing out, please to accept stasis and stand together to fight. And the last letter of that, is, uh, of that series is from The Stranger. And I'll, I'll kind of talk about that one in a second because there's a little bit of a plot twist there. Uh, but then you have A Tangled Web. So these are stories of Crow and Glint as Crow is kind of making his way through the, the universe, trying to figure out where he fits back in it. This was the lore entry I mentioned before about the Guardian coming up on him and, and just beating the absolute snot out of him because he sees Crow's face and thinks he's Eldrin and, and that whole thing. Um, Your Friend Micah Abram, which is these are the stories of one of the children on Europa when it was first found by Clovis Bray during the Exo experimentation and the the colonization of Europa during that time. Legacies Lament, uh, which are memories that are found, recovered from Exos, scattered throughout Europa uh, that you receive when you complete the exotic quest for the Lament sword. The Dark Future, Uh, which is an account of one of the features in which Elsie Bray sees humanity fall to Savathun in the darkness. The singular exeget, which are reports from Eris. These are during Season of the Arrivals uh, while she's studying the darkness. The once ship-sealer, which are stories from Aramis as she is trying to become Kell of Darkness. Entries uh, from Call of the Cryptolith during the Season of the Hunt. And then uh, Bray Lab Records Confidential. So these are s- examples of the experiments that Clovis Bray the first performed trying to perfect exo-technology. And you find these when you scan the bodies of dead, fallen exos uh, across Europa. So there's a lot to unpack in a lot of this lore. I, I will start by asking, though, Jimmy, which of these is your favorite and, and why?
0: I would say it has to be Legacy's Lament finding who Banshee really is was uh, was uh, mind-blowing.
2: Yes. I would agree. I would agree wholeheartedly with that. Mind-blowing and, and a little heartbreaking too.
0: Yes, you, you for those folks that haven't gone through that story, a uh, little spoiler, uh, Banshee 44 is a basically a like a clone of Clovis Bray, but he he departs from the madness of Clovis Bray. Like he it's it's probably the closest thing that Elsie or Anna Bray got to an actual grandfather. The
2: the uncorrupted version of Clovis Bray, essentially. Yep. Yep. Not driven by madness or darkness, just Clovis Bray. And and you're absolutely right, is the closest version uh Elsie ever got to a real grandfather in Banshee. And Banshee was so scared of becoming the Clovis AI, which, you know, at that point, Clovis Bray worked to basically insert himself into the AI to become the all-powerful being across everything between darkness and Vex and everything like that. And so Banshee so desperately did not want to be that that he had Elsie reboot him one more time to wipe all that from his, his memory. So he didn't know who he was. And as you complete the legacy's lament story, you start to read what happened to him. And then when you bring it back to him, he's like, Oh yeah, I guess that happened. I'm like, God <laughs> protect, protect him. Must protect. Um, But I agree with you. It's, It is probably, it's a tie. It's a tie for my favorite, along with the dark future. Again, another very jarring and, you know, (laughs) breathtaking and and sad uh, account of of what Elsie has had to go through as the Exo Stranger. So Elsie has the ability to navigate time in a similar way to how Osiris was able to do that. Elsie can do that too. And so Elsie has been trying to use the darkness to fight it, to beat it, because Savathun, as, as we kind of talked about during our last podcast, the next DLC, the next big one, is going to be the Witch Queen. We have to fight Savathun. We don't know who's going to be fighting at her side. I think a lot of people assume Eris. But in this dark future lore entry that comes up... um. Elsie then has to battle her sister, Anna. Anna has been corrupted by the darkness and her desire to wield it and stands alongside Eris to fight against all of them. And it, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. I would say just read, do yourself a favor and read it. As Jimmy mentioned, it's on the Ishtar Collective site. Read through the whole thing. Um, or just, you know, complete the Beyond Light story and you'll get it there too. But it's, uh yeah, that's a really good one too. Getting into a little bit more of the Q&A as well. What would you say is your favorite Destiny lore across both Destiny 1 and 2? You can pick more than one because I understand that's a very difficult thing to ask of anybody who <laughs> deeply plays this game and, and reads the lore. But what would you say is like your top two across both?
0: I would say once the... The giant leap that it felt like in Destiny One when you are introduced to the Taken King, mm-hmm. like you 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 realize how big this universe really is, because for the for the first year, two years I forget how long it took to get Taken King, but you are simply just killing aliens. That's all you're doing. Mm-hmm. You, you know they they're all they're all darkness. They're all bad. But once you start realizing the story behind uh, Oryx and you you basically you killed his son and he's coming to uh mess you up coming for you uh yeah you start learning about the entire uh background of the the story of the the thrall that whole species the hive um that gets really deep you start learning about the different uh uh worm gods um the story behind how they went from Um, I think went... Because they transformed. Oryx was not the same. He was... Or. I forget his his name. Oryx? Oryx? It was
2: Oryx, but it was spelled A-U-R-Y-X. I was just... The only reason I know that is I was just reading that lore again the other day. It's the first volume of the grimoire. But yeah, Oryx, Savathun, and Zivu Arath, they all had different names. And they essentially ascended and became what they are now.
0: So that, that, that moment when you start learning about the siblings, the hive siblings is, at that point I was like, when are we going to see these other sisters? Right. Yeah. (laughs) And it, and it took, and it took seven years, it's going to be more than seven years till we get to actually see Mm Sabathun. We have not, I think we've, we've been, they've been hinting at Sabathun for the last two years and we're, we're finally going to see her in, in January.
2: Right. She's creeping. She's creeping up on us. It's going to get us. Um, I'm with you there. The Taken King is definitely one. I think that from the moment I played Rise of Iron, the lore around the Iron Lords and Siva specifically. And Siva has been around. Siva has stuck around little bits and pieces everywhere. Um, the most recent connection... Between Destiny 1 and 2 with SIVA is the lore around Felwinter's Lie. The shotgun everyone loves to hate. But there is lore attached to that shotgun as you use it. Um, The lore book is called The Liar. And you learn about Felwinter. And you learn about Felwinter becoming a guardian. And in the season with the Warmind... Season with Warmind Cells and when they were introduced, and I can't remember the name of the season now. It was basically the season nobody played, that everybody took the season off. Um, with the Warmind bunkers and everything, you learn the story of, of Fellwinter and what Rasputin did to Fellwinter and how Siva ultimately was a trap to lure Fellwinter back to Rasputin. And I'll never forget the line. If I can't have my son, no one can. And Felwinter is the son of Rasputin, and Rasputin lured Felwinter and the other line, Iron Lords with Siva. Siva was a trap and ended up destroying almost all of the Iron Lords. And that is where you get very grumpy Saladin coming in there. And that, but all of that story, I think, is, is still at the top for my favorites.
0: Season of the Worthy. Thank you. Season 10. Thank you,
2: Season of the Worthy. I knew it was something about being worthier. Maybe not. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> so we talk a lot about it, and obviously we talk a lot of, about it with, with a, a great deal of passion. Um, why does lore and story matter to you as a player? And on that same note, how has Destiny, in your opinion, handled their storytelling? What are things that you think they could potentially improve what are changes they've made that you enjoy but ultimately why does it matter to you why is it important to you
0: that's one of the things that keeps bringing us back uh keeps bringing me back to the game um for people that don't follow the the game or the story too closely they just see us going back and back to the same mission same activities <laughs> which you know for someone looking outside and yeah, that, that's what it looks like but the the story the the continued story. Throughout this universe, throughout Destiny One and Two, is what keeps bringing me back. Um, and I like the way that, that Bungie has evolved or, or grew, like they've grown on how to tell the story. Uh, Destiny One, it was a lot of Grimoire cards. Mm-hmm. You had to you collected them, but you had to go outside to actually read them. Um, now they brought brought that into the game with Destiny Two. Um, now they make it easier for you to look up and read the lore entries. Um, uh, they started doing a better job, even with this season, on um, making it feel like the other NPCs are part of the story. Because before it was just, "Hey, go do this, go do that." It never felt like uh, the other characters were were part of it, and and I think that was a big big leap that they did with this season. It felt like Zavala was part of it. It felt like uh, Saladin, being his grumpy self, was part of it. (laughs) Crow was part of the story, and and you were helping along with that. So it didn't it didn't feel like you were just doing a bunch of chores. Uh, Yeah, there were some seasons like that.
2: Yeah, I i definitely agree, and I agree with your with your primary point. You know, I think I think lore and story drive me personally to play a game. And how that story is supported within the game and externally is what kind of keeps me going back. You know, I, I'm probably hitting on a somewhat sore topic. But the story of Division 1 and 2, I had never heard of Division before. I was playing Destiny, minding my own self, my own little guardian in my own little world. And I don't remember how it happened. I, don't, it, it, I really don't even remember why. But someone said, hey, have you ever heard of the Division? And I started playing that game. And that's how I've met some of my best friends and some of the best people I know um, that are part of my life now that I never thought would be. Um, but the story pulled me in. It it just hooked me like a prize bass and just reeled me in and kept me there. And, and you know, obviously the story of Div 2 is is a little bit of, like I said, a sore topic. And so we won't get too into it. But the the story is what kept me going, what kept me playing what kept me interested in what was going on. And then there was external material published for it that I was like, wow, this is really great. Like they've taken a lot of time to to expound upon this universe, this world that they've made. And Destiny does that, but tenfold. They do that in so many different ways. And it's like you said, you know, I don't necessarily want to go back and do Strikes or Gambit or Crucible or go do these bounties or go do this or go do that. But then there's lore associated with it or maybe there's a lore piece that I found that I never found before. I'm like, oh, wow, I never thought saw this and pick it up and then you read it and then it it puts you down a rabbit hole to find more lore. And then, you know, I think obviously the interwebs helps quite a bit because there's a lot of lore that you never probably would have read had it not been for people pulling them off of you know, the pieces of armor that are there or pulling them off of the ships or something like that. And so I think the fact that it's all just kind of everywhere, it, it, it's incredibly motivating for me as a player. If if I can get invested in a story, then you've already got me there. And then if the gameplay is good, I'm, I'm good for a while in that way. I would say the only thing, the only thing that Bungie could probably improve with the storytelling and the way that they they handle the lore and what I would love to see is and I mentioned that there's lore entries on the armor, um, specifically. And I know, you know, hi, my name is Jamie, and I have a problem with Gambit. Um, <laughs> there's there's lore <laughs> entries on there from the Drifter on the the Gambit set of armor for the Titan, and it explains how the Drifter came upon, you know, how he found the darkness, how he harnessed it, how he created the derelict, and thus created Gambit. And I would just love to see a collected spot whether it's in the ui somewhere or it's published externally of the lore that's on the armor and stuff i think because there's there's pieces that i don't always see like for somebody who doesn't play trials regularly unless i go into the collections i'm not going to read that lore so i would i just love to see that somewhere but other than that you know they're doing they're doing a bang up job and I
0: agree. I actually didn't think about that cuz there's some lore there that is stuck and I'm curious, do they put that stuff in the Ishtar collective, like the lore from armor and weapons? That's a great question.
2: I actually have not looked, but now I'm after we're done with this I'm I'm sure gonna go look. Yep.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be it would be great if it was in game too. Um,
2: yeah, or even just like I said, like something, you know, if they took if they took all of it and put it in a grimoire volume. You know or something like that and i'd love to see them obviously now it's like i said it's on the internet like you can go read it for free but i would have loved for them to publish the book that came with the collector's edition because it's this giant journal of clovis and just so many examples of his crazy <laughs> and i just would love to be able to because there's i think there's uh illustrations in there too and diagrams that i'd love to just be able to have that and add that to the collection but
0: and I think the one thing that they're doing better each season is how they tie it to, to the previous ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think they need to continue doing that, and, and that way it feels like a collection of four seasons. You know that this they all they all flow into one one larger picture, right? Because mm-hmm. I think whenever they went into the season format, it felt like its own, and it had to do because they had uh I think. Uh, third-party dev team created the seasons while Bungie was doing the main deal, like the main yearly DLC, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So there was a disconnect in that. So um, I think now that they've taken full responsibility and and uh, leading that effort, it, it feels more cohesive.
2: I absolutely agree. Yeah.
0: So they need to continue doing that, even if they expand and bring in more more talent. For sure. Now, folks, we get to the even more interesting part. Uh, for those that have been listening here in the Gamerloop Radio Live recording, this is your time to either ask a question or you can answer one of the five questions that we just went through, whether what's your favorite lore piece? Why does you know story and lore mean to you or any game? Doesn't have to be destiny. Um is there a a in your opinion, is there a better way or a different Way of, of storytelling that you prefer from a different universe, from a different game, um, something that you could probably, you know, bring in to Destiny that would enhance, you know, your your uh, gameplay or your, your just enjoying that that universe itself.
2: Mm-hmm. Remy. Hey, Remy.
0: Hi, everyone. It's your attractive friend Remy, and I actually have a question uh, regarding what you were talking about earlier. Is it really true that? that Cade dies?
2: <laughs> yes, sadly. It is true. Cannot, I love you. I cannot tell a lie. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that is definitely going to stay in the episode. By it the way. absolutely has to
2: say in the episode. Yes,
1: 100%. Oh, Sage.
2: Oh, Sage.
1: Hello, hello. So... <clears throat> We've uh, between the three of us had these conversations about lore and story and in Destiny Two and some of the obstacles that I've had to overcome and enjoying getting to the storyline. Some of that requires some extensive grind. To me, in my opinion, to enjoy some of the lore, and that's why I really appreciate this episode in particular. And and. Uh, this style of episode to cover all of the lore that I've not been able to get to. But with that said, do you think that um, storyline being behind such, at times such a steep grind wall, for people who are story driven, there might be a better way to uh, invoke their interest in a better way for future content um for for people like me i love playing destiny too i love the story but sometimes it requires a lot more time than i can dedicate to it you know what i mean so do you do you think that there's any improvement that could be made um as far as that's concerned to uh appeal more to folks like me who love the universe but hate that there's so much grind behind Learning what's next or what's going to happen.
2: Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think y- you we've touched on it a, a handful of times in the past, but games that respect your time are important, and depending upon the game, there are some exceptions you can make for that, I think, because it's just sort of an accepted reality where you know that something is going to take a certain amount of time out of your week. But to your point, there's not always going to be that time that you're going to want to put into it to to get through that and the ritual activities in destiny are not in any way shape or form respectful of of your time as a as a gamer and so i think to your point you know some of these these juicier lore bits um that we're talking about so Regarding stasis, you know, those, I believe, I'm trying to remember the source of those, um, but I remember that being a little bit of a grind. Your friend, Micah Abram, is actually a very touching story, but you have to find these little penguins on Europa, and you have to do that every week. And now, granted, they're there if you didn't find one from the prior week, but there was another set of lore entries, and actually I do believe it was the Bray Lab Records Confidential, that you had to go find some random fallen on Europa and shoot it and then go shoot these little drone things and that unlocked the lore in a specific location and if you didn't do it that week you had to wait until it came back around. So I, I think that there could be fewer instances of stuff like that where it's time gated um, to then allow for you to have more of the story faster um i also think that there could be more kind of for lack of a better way to explain it catalyst activities where something there's an activity or there's a mission that is driven by the underlying narrative of the season or seasons uh that are currently happening and that are going to happen and it's not you know the repeatable activity right so this this season we have the the battlegrounds activity and that's become a playlist that you can do not necessarily that but something specific to the story something where you have to go and it it shouldn't be lengthy right it shouldn't be like 20 steps or anything like that but it should be something that that is story it is a story driven mission that kind of gives you the the start of the next chapter to make it less of a grind to to open that up To the other options of the story that are available i think there could be more things like that to make the load of the grind a little bit less because the grind is just something that exists in destiny but to have to do it all the time to get to the story is rough and and i think also from a leveling perspective right there's that constant grind to get to soft cap and then hard cap and then work on your artifact and a lot of the time lore-driven activities kind of fall by the wayside in that, and they've done a little bit to help with that. They're lowering the amount that your cap will increase season over season from 50 to 10, so it makes that a little bit less painful. It's still there, but to get to that point faster to then be able to do the stuff that's tied to the lore um, should help make that a little bit easier too, but I, I think if they had... A few more things that were specifically around the story and the narrative that were not related to whatever the new ritual activity was, I think, would be helpful in that instance.
0: The other thing, just to add, is possibly having either either in game or somewhere a a description of how to obtain that particularly lore entry. Mm-hmm. Agreed, might be helpful. Yeah, right, because. Or a summary, right? Because right now, you go, if if you start a new season, it, it, it's blank. It just yeah. has a, the name of the title. But if there's a summary of, or some way to entice you to start chasing after that lore. Like a
2: previously on Destiny type situation. Yeah, some, yeah.
0: something like that. That way, you can focus on which lore books you want to uh, know more about.
2: Mm-hmm. I agree.
0: At le- that way you have a targeted chase on, on, on lore. Yep,
2: exactly. You can focus on the story that you want to explore, and then that may open up other options for you later down the road. Good question. I like that one. That's a good one.
0: We got, we got room for one more question or comment Not for those in listening in. There's a button in there to raise your hand. Remy and Sage, since they're admins, they can just pop in. I need to pull you guys in if you have a question <laughs> or comment.
2: The ninja admin. It's a special role,
1: I'm assuming. <laughs> well, folks. Ooh, 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 we have one. Uh, KB. The queen. Hey. Oh, hello. Um,
2: oh. So I just have... Some feedback. I've loved sitting here and listening to you to just destiny to it out. And as a guardian that just likes to run around and shoot stuff. Um
1: <laughs> thank you for uh for
2: introducing law that I would never have taken the time to read. And more law reading by Amori, please. Yes. Got you covered. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> I love KB. Mm-hmm. Samesies.
0: <laughs> all right, folks. Well, I think that's going to be it for tonight. Verita, thank you again. Uh, you did an amazing job. Folks, this is all Verita. She, she did all the hard work here. Aww. I just kind of tagged along.
2: I love doing this. Y'all and and I I swear you did it on purpose. I'm sure that one of you planted this bug in me, but now I just want to podcast all the time. So thanks. (laughs) I'm sure that was I'm sure I can I think I can hear Sage's evil laugh all the way from the Carolinas. I'm I'm sure I can hear it. I can hear it. But seriously, no, this is this has been a blast. I absolutely love it. I will talk about lore until I can't breathe. So um I would hap I will happily do more of this any day.
0: If you liked today's episode, don't forget to leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcasting platform. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to email us, ask us questions, or tell us what you liked or what can be improved. Uh, do you have any suggestions on topics, game reviews, anything that you want us to talk about? Just give us a shout. You can find additional episodes of Loop Radio on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean. Oh wait, there's more. And Amazon Music and Audible, and iHeartRadio. Oh, I'm missing one. We're everywhere, folks. But yes, thank you for listening to our podcast.